It's Becca Williams, and welcome to Who's Crooked. Today's episode is the last episode I'll be doing on Jeffrey Epstein. We'll be covering many important topics, so I want you guys to do your best to try to keep up. I know that a lot of these things will go over your head. A lot of these things you might not even know. I'll do my best to inform you, but don't dismiss any of this. We're going to talk about the mansions that got Epstein caught up, his sex plane, his travel buddies, and his destinations in the Middle East. These are the facts. Our episode begins in Epstein's Palm Beach mansion. Palm Beach is where he would often visit Donald Trump at Marlago. Oddly enough, it's also where Epstein met Virginia Roberts when she was only 17 years old. Palm Beach was his primary location for being a predator. With over 100 victims, Palm Beach Mansion was where the disgusting actions of this man would take place the most. Epstein bought the property for two and a half million dollars. If you look today, they're selling it for about $22 million. That's $20 million in price that has gone up. That's insane. This mansion was about 8,000 square feet inside and 14,000 square feet all around. The mansion itself had five bedrooms and more than seven bathrooms. You're probably wondering, why did this guy have over seven bathrooms if he only had five bedrooms? Right? Well, to answer your questions, they aren't really bathrooms. Some of those rooms were full of sex toys, massage tables, hand soap shaped like a penis, and a dentist chair inside the bathroom. Now that bathroom, the dentist chair, is described almost like a sex dungeon room. There's toys laid out instead of dentist tools, and it's just a creepy room overall. He would lure girls who were 12 to 17 years old and convince them to have sex for money. What officers noticed was that most, practically all his victims, came from a community of poverty. Girls who had never had a sense of what 200 to $300 is like. And he took advantage of these girls. And mind you, this is in 2005, okay? If I was a high schooler getting 200 to $300, can you blame these women? Are these girls? They were girls at the time. They're women now, but they were little girls at the time. Now, the disgusting and sadder part is he would have the girls tell their friends thus creating the sex ring. And what did he tell these girls when it came to recruiting? Well, for instance, and I quote, they can't be black. According to Virginia Roberts, when she was being interviewed about Epstein and Maxwell, she clarified that Ghislaine had told her that she can't recruit black people. So not only were they disgusting, they were also racist. Pedophile, racist people. They found out all of this during the investigation that began in 2005. 
but it wasn't until two years later, in 2007, when they finally had enough evidence to charge Jeffrey Epstein. Despite the fact that Maria Farmer had already warned the FBI in 1996. It took them a lot longer to get the evidence they needed because it seemed like Epstein was always a step ahead of them, like he always had the upper hand. That's because of his friends in law enforcement. No thanks to them, if the chief hadn't instructed for dumpster pulls to find evidence, there would be nothing. Some of the evidence that include from the dumpster poll was messages from Jean-Luc, a purple vibrator, which was actually the one that Jane Doe number one had described. And not only that, but someone who works for Epstein called the 14 year old and told her, those who keep their mouths shut will be rewarded. Those who don't will be dealt with. End quote. Can you imagine being 14 years old, scared to even report this guy in the first place because you know how powerful he is, and then you get a call from some stranger threatening you? I can't imagine what these victims dealt with at all. Finally, in 2008, Epstein was set for trial. Now this is where the deal of a lifetime comes to play. Alan Dershowitz, his defense attorney, the same guy who I mentioned in my last episode, he says the famous quote, and I quote, the defendant wants to hide the truth because he's generally guilty, end quote. Well, that says a lot about his lawyer. Anyways, he would end up getting Epstein only 13 months in jail. If he pled guilty to procuring of prostitution of a girl under 18, if he did not plead guilty, the deal was out the window. Also, what's so messed up is that it was only a state charge, not a federal charge, only a state charge in the state of Florida. Hence the name deal of a lifetime. Alex Acosta was a U.S. attorney at the time who gave Epstein only a 13-month charge. When he was asked about it, he was told that Epstein belonged to intelligence. But just who told Acosta this? Also, if you don't know who Alex Acosta is, Alex Acosta also was appointed Secretary of Labor from 2017 to 2019 by Donald Trump. All right, now let's move on to the Manhattan Mansion. A little bit about the property. It's an $88 million mansion. It has seven floors and 20,000 square feet of room, okay? $88 million mansion. You bet that Jeffrey Epstein did not buy that mansion. It was actually a gift from Les Wexner, AKA the owner of Victoria's Secret and Bath and Body Works. So nobody really knows why Les Wexner gifted the mansion to Epstein, but what we do know is back when he did gift it 
to Epstein. We know that he had ties of being a high-level bounty hunter, and who knows if maybe this was to pay off Jeffrey from, you know, snitching on Les Wexner. Who knows? Anyways, let's move on to um, some other facts about the property. Now, there was a room covered in leather and a life-size sex doll hanging from the chandelier. That was just from a reporter that came to interview him. Creepy, right? Well, what's also creepy is his neighbors. Well, for example, Bill Cosby lived across the street from Epstein. And also, Princess Marie Chantal of Greece lives on the same street. Just saying. Now, there's something very important about this Manhattan mansion I need to include. I call it Epstein's Hall of Fame. It's reported by numerous people that the minute you walk into Jeffrey's home, you not only see the sex doll, but you also see some crazy portraits of some very powerful people. Now, according to a journalist, um, I got this from insider.com, they they recount an interview from 2013. They say, and I quote, I had seen photos of Epstein with Saudi Prince MBS and Emirate Prince Mohammed bin Zayed, some in beach gear and snorkeling gear, end quote. So he saw a picture of Epstein pretty much going on vacation with the Prince of Saudi Arabia. Okay, we're going to talk more about Saudi Arabia after the mansion. Here it goes. We're going to talk about another reporter from New York Times that contacted him in 2018. So he was interviewed at his Manhattan home, and the reason why the New York Times um, interviewer even contacted Epstein was actually because there was a rumor saying um, he was advising Tesla's Elon Musk. Now, by advising, I don't know if, you know, he was a science advisor, a financial advisor. They weren't very specific. So, the reporter goes to um, find out, you know, a little bit more about Jeffrey Epstein and Tesla. While he's there, the reporter noticed a photo of him with Woody Allen, Bill Clinton, and some photos of, you know, the Prince MBS of Saudi Arabia. Now, the reporter begins saying that Epstein avoided a lot of specifics about Tesla and Elon Musk, and he said that the reason why Epstein was so cryptic is because he had a good reason to be. He said once it became public that he was advising the company, he'd have to step down because he was radioactive. Not sure what that means. Probably because, you know, he's already been under investigation. This was in 2018, so maybe, you know, his federal friends told him what's coming. Who knows? So he apparently spoke to the Saudis about investing in Tesla. Um, 
this is where I believe he might have been a financial advisor. Jeffrey Epstein also called the reporter a week later asking about going out to dinner with Woody Allen. The reporter declined, and then a few weeks later, Jeffrey Epstein calls the same reporter again, and he asks the same question, but instead with Michael Wolff and Steve Bannon. So let's, let's introduce some of the people on the Hall of Fame, shall we? We know that Jeffrey Epstein was very close friends with Prince Saudi Arabia. Just who else was he close friends with? Well, for example, there was photos of Bill Clinton, Woody Harrelson, Containing some of the photos of Jeffrey's Hall of Fame, not only did he have a vacation picture with the prince, he also had a full body portrait of the prince, MBS, of Saudi Arabia. Not only that, he also had a huge portrait of Bill Clinton lounging in a blue dress with red shoes. He was pointing at the camera and smirking, kind of like that, um... That guy that they used in the 1950s, like, we want you, you know, that army guy that would recruit them. We want you. That's exactly what Bill Clinton looks like pointing at that picture. And you can actually, um, you can actually find this photo online. The artist is called, um, her name's Petrina Ryan Clyde. She said it was in reference to, um, Bill's sexual misconduct scandal involving Monica Lewinsky. Other people have different perceptions of it, but I always listen to the artist. Anyways, we also have some known visitors that have been to Manhattan Mansion. We have Prince Andrew, Israeli Prime Minister Hud Barak. We have Alan Dershowitz, Jean-Luc Brunel, that actually lived there, Ghislaine Maxwell. I'm sure we can find plenty more. Since I am running out of time, I need to hurry up. So, we're going to introduce Saudi Arabia. Now, I'm going to introduce the sex plane, the Lolita Express, where a lot of these people who visited the Manhattan mansion have visited the sex plane. Before um, I begin listing some things about Lolita Express, I want to point out the name. The reason why I'm pointing out the name is because Jeffrey Epstein was extremely symbolic. He named everything after something for a reason, like the Zorro Ranch. He loved the character Zorro. He also named his company after Zorro. So when you think of the Lolita Express, I know that a lot of you guys don't know this because I believe it's a foreign story. Um, you guys can look this up. Look up Lolita's story. Um, it's about a 13-year-old girl 
um, she gets taken advantage by her, I think it was her pastor or her professor. Either way, that really scares me considering he used to be a school teacher. So that's just a fact about the plane. Secondly, let's talk about what the plane consisted of. There have been numerous reports from numerous pilots that as soon as you walk into the Lolita Express, it's just a bed. Like everywhere is a bed. Isn't that just a little weird? I don't know. I think so. And I mean, even the pilots thought it was weird. Not only that, but just like everywhere else on his properties, he had cameras in every single room, in every single corner, everywhere. He used the plane majority of the time to blackmail a lot of politicians. Well, as I've said before, Bill Clinton. Bill Clinton actually rode on the Lolita passenger 26 times. 26 times he went on that plane from 2001 to 2003. So, 26 trips. And I believe Jean-Luc Brunel only took 24, I want to say, 24 trips um, total out of like the decades that, um, I think it was a decade that they knew each other. Well, the Lolita Express had many, many, many passengers. We got Kevin Spacey, Chris Tucker, Naomi Campbell. We got Al Gore that actually rode with Bill Clinton. This is the last time I'll be mentioning Bill Clinton until any further information comes out. Virginia once said, she asked Epstein, what's Bill Clinton doing here? You know what Jeffrey Epstein said? Well, he owes me a favor. I just want to know, what kind of favors does a former president owe you? Interesting. Well, let's move on to Lolita Express and the destinations that this plane took Epstein on. Now, as we move on from Jeffrey Epstein flying around, living luxurious on his Lolita Express, we're going to talk about where the plane lands. Epstein flew from Paris to somewhere over the Arabian Peninsula on November 7th, 2016. Nobody knew where the jet went. All they know is that on the eve of election, this is literally the eve of election day, he left with his jet and didn't come back for 48 hours later. So finally, someone did some digging. A journalist by the name of Eric Rosenwald found that Epstein's Gulfstream GVSP landed in Riyadh at King Khalid International. This is the main Saudi Arabian airport. Prince Mohammed bin Salman, that is the full name that I was using, Prince MBS, 
was close with Epstein, as we've said before. Crown Prince um, MBS was in Riyadh at the same time holding meetings with Jeff Bezos. That's a name I've never mentioned before. Bet you guys were kind of uh, surprised to hear that one. Yeah. So the Prince and Bezos, they refused to answer if they ever met with Epstein, but apparently they talked about, and I quote, the kingdom's vision. Don't know what that means. Bezos did attend two dinners with Jeffrey Epstein in 2004 and 2011 at the Edge Foundation, aka the Billionaire's Dinner. There's actually multiple pictures of um, Epstein pictured with people from Microsoft, and they're talking about eugenics and stuff. Eugenics is, um, you know, our population. Anyways, his jet was spotted there in Saudi Arabia on the eve of election day in 2016 like i've said before but he arrived at 6 35 p.m okay epstein played host to um the prince very often he also had a full-length portrait like i've told you bezos chief of secretary oh Bezos' chief of secretary accused the Saudi kingdom of an unauthorized access to his personal messages and phone and photos. So, according to the Daily Beast, the Saudis planned to blackmail him because he purchased the Washington Post in 2013 and reported aggressive coverage on Jamal Khash- um, Khashoggi. I finally learned how to say that one. That was really hard. Um, Jamal Khashoggi was assassinated in um, in Istanbul in 2018. Now, this is where I'm going to introduce um, the Iran-Contra affair. But first, we have to acknowledge one of one of the ni- one of the richest man men in the 1980s. I believe he was the richest man in the 1980s. And that name is Adnan Khashoggi. And that name is Adnan Khashoggi. One thing I found interesting about Adnan Khashoggi is his nickname. He was nicknamed the Great Gatsby of Saudi Arabia. He was also known for being a playboy. Anand Khashoggi had 12 wives. He was a Saudi businessman and an arms dealer in the 1980s, and he was considered the richest man on earth. He had a net worth of $4 billion in the 1980s. Now, I'm going to go back to Jamal Khashoggi, okay? That was Anand's nephew. Jamal was Anand's nephew. Jamal was assassinated in 2007, in 2018, excuse me, believed to be um, assassinated by Prince MBS for being opposed to the Saudis because um, he left the Saudi, um, he left Saudi Arabia in exile and uh, Jamal didn't come back until he was um, supposedly called for a meeting and sadly Jamal never returned. It wasn't a meeting. He was set up. 
Now, Adnan was a key middleman in the arms for hostages exchanged with Reagan. Reagan plays a huge part of this, okay? I'm going to talk about the Iran-Contra affair in just a second. Bear with me, okay? The year before Adnan Khashoggi died, he donated millions to the American University in D.C. to build a sports arena named after him in 2017. So... I believe the reason why he wanted to do that is because he also, he was a known principal foreign agent for the U.S. Um, he also helped establish um, the supranational intelligence partnership called Safari Club. A little known fact, have you guys ever heard, you guys know the Roxy Clothing? You remember Roxy Clothing? Yeah? Okay. Well, the Roxy Clothing founder, Jill Dodd, she knew Adnan. She had met him when she was only 20 years old. She said that he wrote I love you using his own blood on their first night together and wrote it on her arm. That was a that was according to the Daily Mail, of course. So Adnan Khashoggi was a very, very rich man. Now let's go to the Iran Contra affair. We're going to talk about an article I read called Blackmailing America by Zev um, Shalev. So they interview one of the men who was um, arrested for the Iran-Contra affair. His name is Ari Ben Menashe. He's Israeli-born and a former arms dealer who... um, He served as a senior executive for Israel's um, Directorate of Military Intelligence. And that was for 10 years from 1977 to 1987. Ari met Jeffrey Epstein and Ghislaine 40 years ago when Ari was working alongside Robert Maxwell. Robert Maxwell is Ghislaine's father. We will be talking about Robert Maxwell the entire episode next, next week. So Ari said that Robert wanted to include Epstein in his arms dealing operation but a lot of the guys there didn't find Jeffrey competent enough. They didn't go into why, um, but Robert had high hopes for Epstein. He was very confident in Epstein. So Ari and Robert, they ran this covert Israeli operation transferring arms to Iran, and the operation was called, obviously, the Iran-Contra affair. So... A little, I want you guys, as we explain Iran-Contra affair, I want you guys to know that um, back in the day, Ghislaine Maxwell and Jeffrey Epstein, they were not named whatsoever in the Iran-Contra affair. Not named whatsoever. So here we have Ari Ben Menashe coming out, and this is what he says. And I quote, I spent 11 months and three weeks in the same place as Epstein. It would have been impossible to commit suicide. End quote. Another quote, I have theories about who wanted him dead. Probably there's quite a number of people in the States that wanted him dead, but I would think mainly the Israelis. I have theories about who wanted him dead. 
probably there's quite a number of people in the states that wanted him dead, but I would think mainly the Israelis, end quote. I want to remind you guys the part where Ari says, we didn't find Jeffrey Epstein competent enough. Epstein actually wasn't even accepted in the Iran-Contra affair completely. Ari and Nick Davies, I will introduce those people in a second, did not accept him because, you know, he wasn't competent. I'm not sure if it was because he wasn't doing what needed to be done. Um, And I think that they realized that Jeffrey could be of help elsewhere. Thus beginning blackmailing America. So when <laughs> when Ari Ben Minaj was told that it's hard for people to believe, you know, that they would blackmail leaders in the US, he laughed. He laughed. He goes, really? Like it was quite their MO. Meaning it was Israel's it's always been Israel's MO. And let's go back to my first episode where I introduced that article I found from the 1980s about a sex ring found in DC conducted by Israelis that would blackmail politicians. We're gonna talk about that when we talk about Robert Maxwell in my next episode. So, Ari Ben Menashe, finally in 1989, was arrested for violating the Arms Export Control Act for trying to sell three Lockhead C-130 Hercules to Iran. He was locked up for 11 months and three weeks in that same facility, Metropolitan Correctional Center. So, let's talk about Iran-Contra Fair. So, this Iran-Contra affair, or Iran-gate, you can call it, was one of the biggest scandals to happen in America. And oddly enough, Reagan still left at the end of his presidency with the highest approval rating. You'll see why that doesn't make any sense once I'm done describing what this Contra affair consisted of. So we already know who's associated. We know that Robert Maxwell, Nick Davies, Ari Ben Menashe, and Jeffrey Epstein was um, was associated. Ari Ben Menashe says that Ghislaine Maxwell was not part of it until after um, Jeffrey Epstein was a part of this. Some people don't believe it. Um, I kind of believe it because Ari Ben Menashe says that Ghislaine fell in love with Jeffrey Epstein. And I think that's when she um, really wanted to be a part of things. So let's explain the Iran-Contra affair. So in the 1980s, the scandal threatened to take down Ronald Reagan's presidency. This was a secret U.S. arms deal. They traded missiles and other arms to free some Americans held hostage in Lebanon. Or Lebanon. And you know we're not supposed to we're not supposed to work with terrorists at all. They also used funds from the arms deal to support armed conflict in Nicaragua. Okay. 
that's just a little bit of the details I'm going to give you guys in just a moment. So this, this was part of Israel and um, Iran. The Contra funding came from the cocaine trade that Ronald Reagan was totally famous for. And then this had, this amendment had to be made while Reagan was in office. So the Department of Defense and the CIA wouldn't be able to use funding for the Contras or any project meant to overthrow a government. The amendment was called the Boland Amendment. So I bet you guys never knew that the CIA tried to overthrow a government, um, but it's not, it's not the first government they've tried to overthrow um, back in the day. Um, we have always been extremely anti-commies, and um, the Contras was pretty much meant to um, go out and take out the, they're called the San, I want to make sure that I'm saying this right, I believe they were called the Santorinis. Um, what's really messed up is Reagan lied. He got $30 million total from this deal, like this trade that's going on, right? Only 12 million of it went towards weapons in Iran. And the rest, the 18 million, was funneled into funding the Contras, even though they made it illegal. They had made it illegal for the CIA or the Department of Defense to get any funding whatsoever. Yet here we are with Reagan giving over half uh, over half of the earnings that they got to the CIA. And you know, at the end of this all, Reagan denied working with terrorists, except there was one person that actually had the decency to speak the truth. Lieutenant Colonel Oliver North admitted and called out Reagan for knowing about it. Sadly, despite his bravery, his honesty, he was found guilty along with Robert McFarlane, four CIA officers, two government contractors, and John Poindexter, which was Reagan's head of um, security. Yet, nowhere do you see Reagan's name in the list of guilty. So, that was just a little bit about Israel, okay? I know that you've heard a lot about Israel and um, Epstein, but it doesn't stop there. It actually begins with Prime Minister Ehud Barak. So from 2002 to 2004, Epstein and Barak um, they funded heterodox science, tens of millions of dollars towards heterodox science, by the way. And if you don't know what heterodox science is, it's basically what Elon Musk is doing. Um, look up Bill Gates, Robert um, Lang. There's so much I bet you guys had no idea that heterodox science is part of. It's literally a part of everything you do, the technology you use, everything. So around the same time, 2002 to 2004, um, 
the, this guy introduces the two. And from there on, um, Jeffrey Epstein and Ehud Barak end up meeting more than 10 times. He even visits the island and two of his Manhattan residences, not just the Manhattan mansion. They've also met in Boston, they've met at MIT and in Harvard Labs. So I want you guys to know how invested Jeffrey Epstein was in the science world. They're playing it off like Jeffrey Epstein didn't know what he was talking about, but I want you to remember he was a math and physics teacher at Dalton School. And I forgot to tell you guys, but the person, the head director of that school was William Barr's father, Dalton. Do you guys know who William Barr is? If you don't, you need to Google him right now. He was in charge of Jeffrey Epstein's case, okay? Here's the other part. When you look up, when you look up um, Jeffrey Epstein, I know that a lot of people just say that he was a sex trafficker and a pedophile. And yes, he was. He definitely freaking was. But he was also a really, really smart man. And I told you that is re- it was really scary how smart he was. You know, he skipped third grade, eighth grade, and then ended up graduating high school and when he was only 16 years old. And then he gets a job as a math and physics teacher. And honestly, with everything going on, like I'm going to use Elon Musk, for example, because um, honestly, his technology is the best example I have for this. Um, when you're talking about zero point energy, you're talking about quantum physics. Um, quantum physics, <laughs> don't ask me because I don't know. I don't know anything about physics, but I do know that Jeffrey Epstein did. I do know that Jeffrey Epstein had a passion for math and physics, and I know I know deep down, maybe he was advising Tesla. Who knows? But I do know that he was part of the science world more than they're saying or playing it off to be. Moving on. Ehud Barak continued. He begins to say, At his home, I met many very respected people, scientists, Nobel Prize winners, dot, 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 says Ehud Barak. And that was according to the Daily Beast. So, another interesting fact. During the time period, 2002-2004, when they were donating all that money to heterodox science, Barack received about $2.4 million marked as research from the Wexner Foundation, and that was in 2004. Interesting. Now, in 2015, Barack set up a limited partnership in which he was a sole shareholder. This has nothing to do um, with Les Wexner, but it has everything to do with Epstein. This company invested in, um, it says, Reporty Homeland Security. It was established in 2014, becoming a major shareholder. By the time it was 2018, the company changed its name to Carbine. What the company does is it develops call handling and develops identification capabilities for emergency response services. Weird. 
And guess who's the chairman? Ehud Brook. His investment in the company contains millions. Epstein also financed a considerable, considerable part of the investment, thus becoming a partner. Before we end the last episode of Jeffrey Epstein, we need to address some key characters. I don't know about you, but every time I start an episode, I know that I'm going to be introducing a new scientist. There's always a scientist that Epstein is connected to. And oddly enough, it's always a new one. So when I found out that there was a rumor that Epstein was advising Elon Musk's Tesla, I I believe that. 100%. I want you guys to also remember Richard Branson. I mentioned him um, in my last episode. He had an island not too far away from Little St. James. And not only that, but he's just like Elon Musk. He has the same business he's been running since 2005, I believe. Um, but he's stationed in um, the UK. So, we have Richard Branson, we have Bill Gates, we also have Bill Gates' former advisor listed in his will. Um, I also found a picture of Epstein, Bill Gates, and his former advisor, Nikolik. So that was really interesting to see. I'll have to upload that onto my Instagram so you guys can see that. Um, And we also have tens of millions of dollars that he invested into heterodox science. So that was around 2002 to 2004. And if you if you haven't looked around yet, obviously technology has progressed immensely since then. I also don't want you guys to forget about the Hyperloop 1 guy. Do not forget about him. So, before we go, and I'm going to upload this on my Instagram, we're going to talk about the timeline. So, starting in 1974, Jeffrey Epstein gets hired by Dalton Barr at Dalton School. Then, in 1976, he starts a job at Bear Stearns. Then, in 1980, he becomes a limited partner at Bear Stearns. All right? The year after that, in 1981... He gets fired from Bear Stearns for a regular D violation, whatever that means. Totally unspecific. I tried looking up the name. All he did was something corrupted in Bear Stearns. That was also the same year he became a high-level bounty hunter. So, 1980s. Let's think of the Iran-Contra affair, all right? That happened in the 1980s. Now, in, the ni- in 1981, he became a high-level bounty hunter. That's also when um, Jeffrey obtained a fake Austrian passport, and he travels to Saudi Arabia, Spain, United Kingdom, and possibly Austria, okay? I hope I'm not losing you guys yet because this is just the beginning, okay? So, in 1981, he founded the, um, the Intercontinental Assets Group, okay? Then, in 1982... Jeffrey Epstein and Cope opens. 
Then they begin collecting clients with a, a billion dollars or more. 1982, a billion dollars or more. All right. Interesting because the richest man on earth was only worth $4 billion. So you had to be literally super freaking rich. In 1982, July 27th, that was when the boy sex ring article came out. I mentioned that in my first episode. Go back to that if you have not heard that yet. There is a connection somewhere. Then, in 1987, he was hired as a consultant at Towers Financial Corporation. All while, he was the secret spy or whatever, high-level bounty hunter. In 1983, the biggest Ponzi scheme happens, okay? Towers collapses and um, Epstein buys the Zorro Ranch. In 1995, the playbook is created, which was the Black Book. Then, in 1996... Annie and Maria tell the FBI um, their abuse. 1999, Virginia becomes a sex slave for three years. Okay. So what pisses me off the most is Annie and Maria told the FBI, and then three years later, he meets Virginia, and she becomes a sex slave. 2001, Virginia and Prince Andrew, um, and Virginia and Bill Richardson. Okay, 2001, I want you to remember New Mexico, Bill Richardson, the former governor of New Mexico. He also um, was talking about trading with Prince Andrew at the time when Prince Andrew was in New Mexico. So that means Virginia was abused by Bill Richardson and Prince Andrew, maybe not the same night, but um, I would not doubt the same time frame. So in 2002 and 2004, um, Epstein begins um, funding heterodox science, including Ahud Barak. He starts funding too. Then, um, in 2004, Ahud Ehud, um, received that two that two point four million dollars from Wexner Foundation. Then, in 2005, evidence of fifty plus women, and an, um, an investigation begins. Then, in 2007, they finally got enough evidence. To put this guy away. Then, in 2008, the Zorro Trust wins $85 million, wins $85 million from a lottery ticket, which people believe was actually forged by um, Governor Richardson. Okay, that was in 2008. The same year that Podesta was also warned to encrypt his emails that he never encrypted. All right. What else happened in 2008? Dershowitz de- um, deal of a lifetime, okay? So Jeffrey only gets 13 months. Alex Acosta is told Jeffrey Epstein is, you know, he belongs to intelligence. Okay, so that was 2008. All right, 2010, we have Prince Andrew visiting Epstein when he, get, when, um, he gets up. And then this is where I need to do more research because... In two that, from 2010 to 2019, for nine years, there was a lawsuit against Jeffrey Epstein and Ghislaine Maxwell, but they it was settled and then dis, um, it was settled for an undisclosed sum. So I don't know how much they paid them off, but enough to the point where they couldn't say how much it was. So in 2015, this is where it gets weird. ABC News interviews Virginia 
and the royal family threatens ABC. Then Virginia exposes Jean-Luc Brunel's um, MC2 modeling as sex trafficking for Epstein. Okay, now we're at 2016, all right? We're at the eve of election day. This is also where my timeline stops, okay? So Jeffrey Epstein flies to Saudi Arabia. He arrives there at 6.35 p.m. Um, the jet returns to Paris, okay, 48 hours later. So two days later, he comes back. And don't forget that Prince MBS was meeting with Jeff Bezos the same day that Jeffrey Epstein came to Saudi Arabia, okay? Also, 2016 is when Jeffrey Epstein bought the Great Saint, um, bought Great Saint James, and that was the year that John Podesta's emails were leaked. Not that that's related, but kind of you know interesting. Also, speaking of Saudi Arabia, really quick, Epstein was going to get property um, in Saudi Arabia. He believed that Saudi Arabia is the future for um, money, pretty much. Don't know why he said that, but I think that's important to include. So, with all that, I still have more I need to introduce. So, on Monday, I will be introducing Ghislaine Maxwell, Robert Maxwell, and all of the corruption inside their family. That includes the last episode of Jeffrey Epstein, at least for now, until we can find out more information from Ghislaine Maxwell herself, there's just not much more we, that we can discover. And you guys know that if I do find anything else out, you guys will be the first to know. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave me a review under iTunes, Spotify, anywhere that you get your podcasts. Also, please feel free to share. I would love for you guys to share this with your friends or any other people that are interested in learning about the corrupt and exposing it. Also, if you have any ideas about um, any corrupted people, I would love to take your requests. I would love to hear about who you want to hear on Who's Crooked. Stay tuned. On Monday, this is Becca Williams.